There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Now I'd like to introduce a wonderful guest who's been with us quite a few times on the show before. Hanana's are here. Welcome back to Talking Books. Thank you. Um, Hanana is a short story writer and voracious reader. Her work has appeared in several literary magazines and journals. She's a Pushcart Prize nominee and founder of Dubai Literary Salon. And she's got some sad news to share. I think you should announce this. Oh, oh, thank you. Um, I was hoping you'd sort of take the bite off that one and do it for me. Do you want me to? Um, No, it's okay. Okay. I can't. I probably should say it out loud. Um, So at the end of this month, which uh, it's June now, so I'm actually leaving Dubai and moving to Manila. Oh, no. I know. (laughs) We already knew this before you coming on the show, but hearing it said out loud is makes it it, it is really sad for me as well because this is uh, Dubai is the place that I've lived the longest in my life, which, you know, these 11 years have been very interesting. And I've sort of found uh, now that I found a really nice literary home and I've run into all you guys and all these people. So it's it's a bit bittersweet sort of leaving it behind. I have loved it. But, you know, to leave all these people and the literary salon and the groups that I've discovered. Yeah. It's tough. One of the wonderful things that you created was the Dubai Literary Salon and puts on wonderful events. So what's the future of that looking like now? Um, we're going to keep it going as long as we can. Um, what I'm thinking is I can still coordinate stuff online. Um, Alison Williams, who you've also had mm-hmm. on the show, she's going to sort of handle stuff on the ground here. And then I'm going to try to use that as an excuse to fly in constantly. <laughs> So That's you're good. not really leaving. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping not. I say this now, but watch me just be like, ah, oh, it's so far. Um, but I do want to come back. I mean, I do want to be here as much as I can for the salon, I think. So maybe I'm thinking two, three times a year I can come and do events. Yeah. Speaking of the events that the salon puts on, there's um, one coming up. But I'd like to talk about one that you just had recently because we've got Flora in the studio and your background is is editing and, and publishing. And um, I thought it'd be interesting to get your take on some of the questions that came up in the last event that you had. Can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. So the last one, um, we focused on sort of publishing, getting your work out there to the world. I think of one of the things that I noticed with all the um, writers that I've met is there's a lot of serious interest in writing and publishing, but not a lot of people are really familiar with what to do um, or how to go about being published. Or, you know, I think there's a lot of assumption that maybe you just write and that's all that's needed. Um, and then we also talked about literary magazines is not really a familiar thing here. So we talked a lot about how to get work ready for those, what editors are looking for, and what makes work ready. I mean, it is, you know, it has to go through a certain process before we get to sending it out for professional feedback. Absolutely. And I mean, that's where I've um, actually done some courses and workshops on on getting your book ready. I mean, I've really focused on book publishing rather than magazine publishing, which I know Alison is particularly right. expert in. Um, and I mean, the idea of at what point you'd stop writing, start editing, right. and then finish editing, start proofreading. The um, importance of an appropriate cover letter and making sure you've got your synopsis for a, for a novel, for example, um, and, and, and querying the right people in the right way. So doing research into who is actually interested in what you've been writing and who um, will, will, like, will like what you're, what you're doing. Um, obviously, a, pro- a correct 
proof proofreading is so important because if you have sort of basic mistakes in your cover letter and in your text, it already gives you a, a disadvantage. So and that's one of the things, things. Sorry, that's one of the things we did talk about because even at the journal that I do fiction editing for, um, it's surprising how many people will send in stuff with without their names on the manuscripts or no numbered pages. No. And these are small things, but they're huge things. They're huge things. It shows a lack of care a little bit as right. well. And and one of the things that you do need in writing is a degree of precision. Right. Um, I mean, the worst thing we ever had in the old in the days when things were still sent in on. Um, proper manuscripts as paper we didn't before you know things were sent by email was if someone sent you a manuscript it didn't have page numbers and very very occasionally you would drop it Mm -hmm. it was disastrous exactly because you couldn't put them back into order yes happened once or twice sorry my millennial brain just exploded (laughs) (laughs) but no um i think one of the key things is is knowing what what you're looking for and where you're going to place your work whether that's literary magazines or not and as you say if the concept's not particularly familiar it is a great outlet for writing and people often start with stories or start with short stories and um and shorter pieces and shorter work and it is a good way to get published and sort of get a taste of what the publishing world is like without sort of committing to this whole all or nothing i'm mm-hmm. going to write the grand novel and it's going to be done um but it was interesting and the other thing that came up uh, at this event was the idea of rejection and I mean, I've, you know, had to learn to make rejection a personal game at this point because I send out about 100 stories a year, maybe more, um, and only two or three of those get accepted, which is not the greatest average, but that's pretty good given what the publishing world is like. And I think for a lot of people, it's very discouraging to get that first no, and then the second no, and then the third no, and then by the fifth no, you're just just you know you're kind of saying why am i doing this to begin with um so the idea of building resilience and knowing that it's not personal it's just feedback that you need to spend a little bit more time and care in crafting your work and i think that's where um groups like the dubai literary salon are so important because you can share this experience with other writers and people get to know that this happens to everybody it's not just me that's being rejected actually this has happened to you as a uh, you know, a serious and, and very good writer in your own right. You don't get everything accepted all the time because that's just the way the world works. Um, and I think that's really helpful. I think bringing writers together is always useful because it allows people to give feedback and to share experiences and to understand more about the world um, that they're trying to get into. I think for me, for sure, it's been one of those experiences where even even when I'm the one talking about my experience, I always sort of come away thinking, okay, we're all in this together. We're doing mm-hmm. this together there are other people in different places of the journey but it is nice to have that companionship Mm -hmm. and that sense of um you know camaraderie with all these other writers and from the publisher's point of view it's not always in the thing to the story being quote bad um often it's just not the right story Mm. at the right time and i've certainly as a commissioning editor turned down really good books that i liked but I didn't love or I had something similar that was already bubbling under and there's only so many different ones that you can do. Um, and hopefully you can pass that on to someone else who's going to you know, fall in love with the book and, and make it work for them. But sometimes you just have to go back and say, I'm really sorry, you've clearly got potential and talent, but it's just not one for me. Yeah, and I think that's, so that is one of the other things that we talked about is sort of looking in the back of books and acknowledgements and looking to see if a book is similar to the stuff you write, then looking in the back to see who are the agents, who are the editors, and maybe try to find them or sort of, you know, approach them with your uh, work. But it is kind of, I mean, having said that, it is wonderful to see how many people are trying to write and get published. So I, I know people say the state of publishing is really bad, but 
it does give me this sort of happy feeling to think there's so many people trying Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of us. I think that's true. And I think that self-publishing and using other means of getting your work out there is um, has made a huge change over the last couple of decades as well. Yeah. Um, there's much more more channels and more ways of getting of getting read, and I think that can only be a good thing. Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree. You mentioned uh, when you speak at the salon and you share your experiences, you're reminded of being all in this together, though you're at slightly different stages of the process. Um, I know that for um, novelists who are trying to submit a debut novel, it, it's harder to get a publishing deal, and then kind of once you're established, it's a lot easier to just, even if the work maybe isn't as good as a previous novel, for it to be published. How does that work with submitting to literary magazines? I mean, do they care? Do they look at the stuff that you've published previously, or are they only interested in the piece that they're looking at? Um, so it's an interesting kind of, I guess, place to publish. Um, when we have stories coming in, let's say, to our journal. We do look at the cover letter sometimes, and you see, you know, this person's been published in the New Yorker and the Paris Review and Harper's and, you know, Georgia Review, and you're kind of going, wow, this is this is amazing. Of course, this is going to be a good story, and sometimes the stories are not, like, they'll send you the, you know, not as good ones. Um, so it's not a guarantee, but you do look at it to see experience. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, it's always nice to discover that fresh first voice and that nobody's published yet. And so you can be the one to say, we discovered them when. I think that is one of the things in book publishing that has become a bit tricky is that publishers are very excited about the debuts and they're very excited about the brands. Mm. And it's really tough sometimes being in the middle with your second or third book if perhaps the first one hasn't been as successful as as everyone had hoped. That's, th- that's a more difficult situation. Isn't it also true? I mean, I may be sort of adding some details here but I kind of have also read or heard that a lot of times the second and third books are harder um, and not as successful simply because the first ones are the big breakout you know things that everybody's sort of excited about the brand for two seconds and the writers you know fascinating and charming and all these other things but then it's often harder for them to place I, I yeah I think it can be um, harder to say something fresh about because you put it all in with the debut and then what are you left with to sell the next book on and if the debut's been a huge success that's brilliant and you sell it on that right um and often it's often harder also for the writer to write the second book because they spent their their career up till now just writing book number one and then suddenly in a year they've got to do the second one see that's that's the thing i think also about writing everybody's sort of focused on that first but let me just get this one thing published and often when we sit around we kind of go yeah but then you have to do it again and publishes like careers and again yeah, yeah. <laughs> the end of june is when you will be leaving dubai but you said that you're going to try and pop back as much as possible for literary salon and kind of run it from afar um with allison yes i'm gonna do my best i i i am not ready to leave it yet um we are glad to hear it what is coming up at the salon so we've got another event on June 17th, um, and this one's going to be a reading and an open mic. So anyone who's interested in just listening or reading your work or you've been working on something, you're welcome to come on down. It's going to be at Tanya's Tea House in Jumeirah, and they have lovely teas there. So if you like tea. And reminders of date and time again. Um, June 17th at 6.30 p.m., so 6.30 to 8.30 or so. Okay. Um, so book recommendations. We have an eat break coming up. If we have a couple of short pauses or breaks in between there to get some reading done, what would you recommend? So what I've been going back to, um, because 
I've been busy packing and sort of cleaning up house um, and only get a few minutes here or there at the New Yorker short stories. Um, There's one I recently read by Lauren Groff. It's called Brawler. And it is just, it's one of those, it's short, it's very short, but it's a beautiful, beautiful short story about this um, girl who's a swimmer. And I won't say too much because it's a short story. (laughs) I'll I'll give in too much. But um, there's that. Then there's a novel I've just started reading um, called Phantoms. It's about the Second World War and then sort of the after effects of that. So if you like war fiction, although this is not exactly war fiction, but it's a a story about coming home um, and the displacement that one feels, I suppose. Um, so this might be interesting for me to read because for when I come back home to Dubai, <laughs> it'd be interesting. But it's by Christian Kiefer and it's called Phantoms. And the third thing that I would recommend um, for, in case there are any writers listening or anybody who's interested in writing, um, is to pick up Flannery O'Connor's Mysteries and Manners. It's sort of an informal, casual essay kind of um, book, but it's talking about the idea of writing, what writing is, how to craft a story, but it's not sort of that heavy, uh, you know, serious kind of reading. So you can actually feel like she's speaking to you and get good advice from a master of the right form. Conversational? Um, Quite conversational, yeah. Quite casual. Uh, Speaking of Flannery O'Connor, there is a book that I have in front of me that I've been wanting to read for ages called Francis and Bernard. Um, It was a book that you were going to mention on the last show when we were talking about letter writing because there is a correspondence connection there. And it sounded fascinating, not just because of who the story is about, and I'll let you tell us a little bit about the the plot and the characters, but the fact that it's uh, fiction but about real people. Yeah, so this actually, when I... um I met the author of this at a writing conference, and I picked up the book just because she was part of my workshop. Colleen Bauer. Colleen, yeah. yeah. And I took it home, and kind of on the airplane, I opened it just to kind of take a look, and the next two hours, I was just absorbed. Um, so this is a story about two, a writer and a poet, essentially, um, and it's based on kind of Flannery O'Connor's um, meeting with Robert Lowell, who was a poet from Boston. It's sort of a loose inspiration of that, but the entire book is letters back and forth, and that's all it is. And I think we had talked about this in the session we did on letters, just how intimate and how interesting it feels to be kind of peering into somebody else's life through their words. Um, So to me as well, I think reading it, I was imagining Flannery O'Connor at this conference where she met this guy and the relationship that sort of develops and how much love is okay love and what kind of love and a friendship love but with the you know so it's a very interesting and delicious book yeah one of the the descriptions on the back completely um sold it to me um so someone has described this stephanie carl describes this as a moving novel about how sometimes the deepest relationships in our lives are almost the most impossible my eyes filled with tears what a rich writer and two unforgettable lovers Uh, Then also the Jane Hamilton description, where she says that the letters and their relationship explore important problems of faith, work, art, marriage, passion, and how best to lead the life that you think you're meant to live. So it just sounds like there's something in there for everybody. There really is. And it's I think it's not a traditional love story. It is a love story, but it's not a traditional love story. So it's almost kind of like that on the love that you almost can't have, but can have and sort of that. What, what it means to give up love for yourself, to have a good life yourself, or, you know, what choice do you make? So it is a very interesting sort of um, conversation 
on uh, on those all those important things. And a quick read as well. And a quick read. Quick for me, for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. Francis and Bernard by Carleen Bauer is the book we were talking about there. Um, and finally, you have um, some important work in front of you at the moment that you wanted to talk about. I do, I do. So this is um, what I'm holding actually up in front of me right now. It's a collection of short stories, and it's called Wet Places at Noon. Um, and it's by a writer called Lee K. Abbott. He's a American, was an American short story writer. And one of the most, I would say, important and significant short story writers. Um, I think, Flora, you had mentioned during the break we were talking about him, and you would kind of mentioned that he is the writer who writers read. And that is truly a really great description of him because I would call him an absolute acrobat with the way he creates sentences, the words he uses. Um, he was also a mentor of mine, and he passed away a month ago. So the last... A month I've been sort of just trying to, I think, you know, bring back his memory and kind of keep him alive or remind myself of all his great advice and his words um, just by reading his work again. So Wet Places at Noon is one of the collections. There was another one, I think, that you mentioned to me The other one is called All Things All at Once. When I was reading about that one, there seemed to be um, a connection through all the stories that they were kind of about men, um, so fathers and sons and um, basically male relationships. Mm-hmm. And he tended to write a lot about a relationships, but a lot of male relationships. Um, and also, I think a lot of his protagonists, I think most most of his protagonists are male protagonists. Um, you know, he's he was a very traditional man in some ways, um, very much a the kind of person who is a storyteller. So when he started speaking, you listened because whatever it was he was saying, it was just the way he put his words together, even in conversation, you listened. And I, that is the same sense you get when you read his work. It's very much, it's, I mean, it is very well written, but it's not like it's highbrow. It's very like a storyteller, just, you know, you're sitting in front of him on a porch and he's got a drink in his hand and he's telling you a story. But yeah. I was just going to say, so you can read it just for the stories, but yeah. as a writer, you can read it and just admire and learn from... And study, study the way study. he exactly, and you can um, study the way um, that he, you know, that he presents his stories. Because one of his uh, main things was that he writes for the lady on the bus. That it was his job to do all the work so that the lady on the bus has all the pleasure, which to me is a very sort of beautiful way of understanding what the work of a writer is. You don't just write stories about ideas or things; you write them so somebody else can pick up and enjoy it as. But yeah. and then, but you can then break it down and see yeah. all the techniques and the ways that he's using language. But it doesn't. Um, it does. It's not at the forefront. It's not. It's no. not showy language. But when you break it down, everything is perfect behind yes. it. Yes, and it's it's and it's not one of those. It's not obvious. I suppose uh, you're not aware that you're being told a story so well. But then when you stop and kind of go, how did he do this? Then you can see the mechanics behind it. And as a mentor, you, he taught you. Yes, he did. And what, 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 what? How did that? How was that? It, um, you know, I, I can confidently say that the last time that I saw him, and we talked about my work, which was two years ago, um, it changed the direction of my entire writing career. The feedback he gave me and the things he taught me in that one week have absolutely changed where my writing has gone so 
I owe a lot of my current success to him, I would say. So, Wet Places at Noon and... And All Things All at Once. I love the titles as well. Oh, I was just going to say, he's got amazing... Some of the titles in his books, the short story titles, you can tell the care he's put in. um, Because I think that's one of the things I am at least kind of just go, okay, this feels like a decent title. He has such beautiful titles. They're worth, it's worth just looking at the index just to kind of see. I do love stories of writers who struggle with titles. One of my favorites is David Nichols, who, who basically doesn't do the title until after he's finished the book. Or he has a, a skeleton title and then he fills it in afterwards. It's hard to do titles. Yeah. It's to, you know, to, to put in everything in the story in just a few words. And so yeah. many of them have been used already now. You know, it's, it's, it's sometimes tricky to find something that's fresh and new and says what you wanted to say about yeah. your book. And that, that is fresh and new, but still has girl in the title if you're writing a psychological thriller. <laughs> They're moving to woman now. Oh, are they? Put the woman in the window. So and... different. <laughs> so edgy. So fresh. Well, it's so current. Woman. <laughs> exactly. Um, Hanana, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Very quickly, reminders of the list of titles of the short stories that you recommended. If you can. Um, okay. Well, thank you for having me, first of all. And then um, this is by Lee K. Abbott. It's called What Places at Noon and All Things All at Once. Um, Christian Kiefer, the book is called Phantoms, and Flannery O'Connor's Mystery and Manners. And the next salon event? June 17th, 6.30 p.m. at Tanya's Tea House. And you can find us on Facebook if you're not, if you can't remember all that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.